In this valley of heart's delight, you will find life pleasurable, toil honorable, and recreation plentiful. No one listening to this can see this, but I'm glad you showed me. <laughs> it was a time when anything was possible, at least in the imagination. Look, man. Let it hang. All right. Let it hang. All right, go, go. What Bring, do we do? It, let's do it again. I'm not doing it again. Do we it again. Let it hang. No, we already we already did it. All right. But you really it's, want me to it's do it? gone. Right? No. Did you okay. do it? Oh, so let's go. Do it, man. My God, you guys. All right. Oh. Okay. Now I do have to make a request. Yeah. Please, please don't post any of this. Oh no. God. <laughs> I'll just let it hang. Anthony. Are we doing it again? Come on, man. Are we doing it again? Somebody's going to hunt you down. Are we doing it again? With a bat. Oh, who? Fucking my brother who listened to this? I can probably skipped most of it. Well, I mean, I do I do appreciate that you now seem to be uh, leavening your uh, expectations of, of how far this show might go. But don't show all your shoulders. One day, actually. I mean, if this, this will, will never fucked. go away. One day 20... this will be played at a trial. I Exactly. <laughs> and they'll be like, oh, like. The little hairy no. one said this. Eh, 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 eh. First Amendment. That's right. Except Give me not the really. First Amendment is my shield. Is that a song? Yeah, I just wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> are we? Are we? Okay. Are we doing it again? Let's do it again. Okay, just we're for doing good it. Okay. All right, Tony. <sighs> no offensive jokes about 9/11. No Don't even mention 911. No this is going to be posted like 2 months from now. I yeah. know that, but we're recording it on 911. But so that doesn't no, matter. It's no irrelevant. Offensive jokes about 911. 1 2 3. Welcome to Valley Heart. Choose 911. Sorry, go ahead, go ahead. All right. Welcome <laughs> to the Valley of Heart's Delight. I am Tony. With me as always is Caden Carebear. Scorpion, Snake, and Dr. Jones. Dr. Jones! I will not mention 9-11 in any bad way. We are starting the show now. Go. Thank you. <laughs> Today, we will be... You just can't help yourself, can you, you son <laughs> of a bitch? I can't, I can't. Okay. <laughs> Today, we will be beginning our journey into the circumstances surrounding the kidnapping of Brooke Hart and... Because this is apparently a thing. I was just listening to a podcast the other day that was talking about citing your sources. Uh, this is our first episode where I am reading a book. Dude, and not only did you read a book, you went to a very ancient location. Yes. Filled with very ancient artifacts. Where I, did you go? I went to a public library, Whoa. got a public library card. Whoa. And Which then, public library did you go to? San Jose Public Library. You don't MLK? the say. one in no the one in Willow Glen. Oh, well, it's oh, very nice. Yes, they are. They're all very nice. Their children's no section there, is so expansive, <laughs> and they also <laughs> have DVDs, which is great. Uh, so we will be um, we'll be basing uh, our, we'll we'll basically be following the same story uh, as detailed by Harry Farrell in his book. Wait. Swift Justice. Harry? Harry Farrell. Harry? Hot Tide Harry. High Tide Harry Farrell. Uh, so Only in 
feral, painstakingly sourced uh, news articles from the era, official documents, and interviews with the people involved uh, to paint a detailed and accurate and often hour-by-hour picture of the events that transpired. Uh, And so the first episode will really be kind of, as as he lays it out, the circumstances of Brooke Hart's disappearance and the events that follow uh and then we'll kind of just take it from there uh i don't want to give too much away but um i have a question you have an answer is that brooke hart with an e at the end of both words uh that is b-r-o-o-k-e space h-a-r-t ah heart person sounds like a country singer Yes. Mm-hmm. Brooke, Brooke Hart. Or, or, Hi, I'm Brooke Hart. I'm going to sing a song. Or a professional wrestler. Dr. Jones sounds yeah, like a think professor, about that. professional wrestler. I, I, I am a professional wrestler. What do you, what do you mean? UGWA. Ooh, there's going to be a, on uh, October 13th, there's going to be a uh, local. At the Ritz? Yeah, at the Ritz. There's going to be a local Did wrestling you know the, event. I think this weekend's a. Uh, Friday the 13th. Friday 13th and full moon. Whoa. Whoa. Oh my God. That means nothing. <clears throat> Appropriate that I'm bottling a beer called Harvest Moon on, on the Friday Harvest the 13th. Moon. And it's the Harvest Moon. And it's the Harvest Moon. And Whoa. I Are you a witch? Harvest Moon. I'm pretty sure the guys, I overheard the guys that were delivering my new fridge today. I'm pretty sure they were talking about whether or not I was a witch in Spanish. <laughs> were they <laughs> calling you a brujo? Diablo. Yeah. They, I heard them be like, Brujo, and I was like, is it all the skulls and axes? Es posible Maybe. el hombre es un brujo. Diablo. San Jose, California. El hijo hey, de Diablo. That's where we are. San Jose, California, Thursday, November 9th, 1933. Long time ago. Approximately 6 p.m. Galaxy far, far away. We find ourselves in the fifth year of the Great Depression. Businesses were suffering, men were out of work, homelessness was rampant, and hope had long since departed from the lives of many Americans. Wait, 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 hold on. What year did you say this was? Turtle Tray. Oh, I thought it was this year. (laughs) Ah! 2019? No, no, we learned. Read that that again. Read that again. That was beautiful, by the way. Thank you. Did you write that? Yes. Okay, I I was just making sure you weren't plagiarizing. No. (laughs) Only (laughs) minorly. Uh, No, elsewhere, yes, but not in this. Uh, San Jose, California, Thursday, November 9th, 1933, approximately 6 p.m. o'clock. We find ourselves in the fifth year of the Great Depression. Businesses were suffering. Men were out of work. Homelessness was rampant. And hope had long since departed from the lives of many Americans. I'm so sad. I have no job. And all I've been doing is shucking on this milk carton. Everything's dusty. Everything's dusty. And there's dirt in my butthole. What am I going to do? Exactly. 22-year-old Brooke Leopold Hart left his family's department store. He was heir apparent, having been named vice president of the Leopold Hart and Son Company by his father in September. Hurry up there, Curly. Don't keep your father waiting, called Louis Rossi, the store's menswear buyer and close family friend. Brooke grinned and flipped him off as he made his way to his light green 1933 Studebaker President Roadster, a gift from his parents for graduating from Santa Clara University just a few months prior, parked in a nearby lot. He said hello to Louise Hartz, 
a friend of his 18-year-old sister, Elise, <laughs> and chatted with the parking lot attendant, Harry Kuhn, for a few minutes before he got into his car and headed out the lot's lone driveway. Meanwhile, Alex J. Hart Sr., age 64, was waiting for Brooke with his daughter, Elise, outside of Hart's department store on the corner of Market Street and Santa Clara Street. Whoa. Alex Hart had established a reputation for himself in San Jose as a community leader, philanthropist, and man of honest business. Elise, who had just gone on a shopping spree in her father's store, almost walked with Brooke to the car. But upon her father's request, given her arms were overflowing with new vestments, waited for Brooke to take her home and her father to, a near, to the nearby St. Clair Club, where he could grab a few cocktails before heading to a meeting with the Chamber of Commerce Directors at the San Jose Country Club in the east foothills of San Jose. Wow. Alex Hart, it should be noted, as a wealthy man who has had a chauffeur since the times of the horseless carriage, did not know how to drive, and was thus depending on his son. How do you work this contraption? I can only imagine how difficult how it was to drive a car this? in 1933. I assume that it was just much. It was a more... whole. F- it was a process. Yeah. It was a fucking process. Have either of you guys ever drive in a vehicle without power steering or power brakes? Uh, I've been in a car without power steering and power brakes, and I learned on a manual car. I drove a 1992 Ford Taurus for my first. Yeah, that that doesn't count. (laughs) (laughs) I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure that I was uh, like, I was like, how does this thing work? Yeah, yeah. I learned how to drive in a 1949 Dodge pickup truck. Jesus, that had no power steering. And I'm not sure it had any brakes at all. And it was actually pulled by horses. I actually no, you actually stuck your feet through the floorboards and stopped it like a Flintstones. <laughs> like a Flintstones, and then to get it, you know, pedal it back up. No, man, like seriously, like driving vehicles like that is extremely difficult. Did the car like say a witty line like "What a drag"? <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, what was that? Do the 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 weird Scooby Doo like Dune buggy character? Yeah. yeah. The Dune Buggy character? What? Yeah. You don't remember that? I do. Yeah. The Dune Buggy character? Uh, And then here is a picture of the hearts. Cool. Right on. All right, yeah. yeah. No one listening to this can see this, but I'm glad you showed me. (laughs) No, we'll we'll throw throw it on the thing. All right, this will be, what is this, what picture is this? One. One, one. So if you're listening to this and you have your phone open, go to picture Turn to picture one. Turn to picture one. Uh, Brooke was slated to attend a public speaking class at the Hotel De Anza at 6.30 p.m. that evening. Whoa. And left the store a few minutes early to grab the car to ensure he had enough time to drop everyone off at their respective locations and get to his class. That's crazy time. that the De Anza's been there that long. Yeah. I didn't know that. Oh, we're going to hit a lot of landmarks, man. Oh, yeah, man. Why, why would that surprise you? I don't know. I mean, a lot of, yeah, a lot of San Jose is from like still there from this era yes this was when so the 30s were kind of the beginning of san jose building itself up from a like mission spanish town to like a it like turning from a like pueblo into a city where they finally like oh man i know why we're all fucked in the head it's because we've been drinking all this lead or not lead what is it yeah quicksilver 
Oh, yeah, that too. Yeah, no, they weren't drinking mercury. the uh, mercury. Uh, you know you could just drink this, right? <laughs> I, I, I also mean, I wanted to as a kid. I will. Yeah, 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 yeah that just, just eat delicious. That I, I will also, for curious Sanhosians that would like to know more about their, uh, their local history, I, I highly recommend a book called the History of San Jose by Clyde Arbuckle. Oh, Whoa. God bless Clyde Arbuckle. It, it does, it does the trace Arbuckle. the arc of the city's development. But think yep. about it. Plenty Thus far, in Caden's often interrupted narrative, we have heard the St. Clair Club, oh, which yeah. we pedal past every Monday night mm-hmm. on our way to and from Trials Pub for trivia. Yeah. Wait a minute. Is that it's, the Gentleman's Club? It's on? right around the corner from your house, man. That's what that is? That's the St. Clair Club. Oh, those are the assholes who take up all the parking on the street every Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Yes, and wait till you hear what happened in the square in front of the St. Clair Club. Oh, I Club. know what happened there. I, yeah. there was, I mm-hmm. know what don't happened give it there. Away. Hey, don't give it away. However, as 615 <laughs> rolled around, Alex grew antsy, the parking lot God, being no antsy. more than 200 feet away from the store. Alex sent a store employee to check on Brooke, and within a minute, they had returned and reported Brooke's car was nowhere to be found. As this was particularly uncharacteristic of Brooke, Alex worried he would miss his meeting while Elise attempted to appease her father with potential explanations for Brooke's non-presence. Elise went inside and called around to Brooke's friends and girlfriend, but with no luck. Eventually, Alex had store employee Jack Foley drive him to his meeting while Elise stayed for another hour at the store, continuing to attempt to establish the whereabouts of her brother before getting a ride home herself. Meanwhile, at the Hart home, a white two-story mansion based on the Petit Trianon at Versailles on the Alameda, which is, if you're not from here, part of the erstwhile El Camino Real Mission Trail of California. I think I know what house that is. It is this house oh. right here. I'm pretty sure you can now... It's an apartment complex. Very possible. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, Miriam, the elder heart daughter at age 20, was preparing to leave for her drawing class at San Jose State University Whoa. when her sister, Elise, called asking if she had been in contact with Brooke. She said she hadn't and thought nothing of it throwing out any number of reasons why their brother had flaked on picking up Elise and their father. Flaky fuck. Barely out of the driveway, as she left her home, her car stalled. And after getting it started again, she backed the car into the garage. When she re-entered the house, the phone was ringing. It was Charlie O'Brien, Brooke's best friend, who had reported that Brooke had not been in attendance of the class that they were supposed to take together that evening. Shit. It was at this point. Uh Uh-oh the inklings that something was amiss began to appear. Oh, no! Miriam reached her father in the midst of his meeting, and upon word that Brooke had been missing, had missed his class with Charlie, instructed his eldest daughter to call police chief and longtime friend John Newton Black. A hardened policeman with 44 years on the force, his response to Miriam's call was simple. What do you want me to do? Nettie Hart, born... Nettie Brooke, which, if you're keeping tabs, Brooke Leopold Hart is named for Brooke, Brooke. his mother's maiden name, Mm. Leopold, Uh, his grandfather's name, Mm. and Hart, his father's last name. Whoa, he's like named after people. Yep, that's a family name if I've ever heard one. So Nettie Hart, uh, the mother of the Harts, was upstairs, ill 
with her youngest son, Alex Jr. She inquired as to what the commotion was, but was assured that everything was fine so as to not agitate her health. Soon enough, Miriam was picking up her father from the country club, er, yeah, and they were headed to the San Jose police headquarters. Alex explained the situation to Black, though in Miriam's mind it was apparent that he wanted no part in the matter and believed the situation would resolve itself soon enough. At 9.30 p.m., the phone rang at the Hart residence. Bling, bling. Elise, still waiting for her sister and father to return, picked it up. Hello. Hi. Is your brother missing? A soft, calm male voice said. Oh, no. Oh, that's not good. Yes, who is this? Is your father there? No, but he should be here any minute. Elise heard the car with Miriam and Alex rolling onto the property. Your brother has been kidnapped. Oh, my God. You'll be hearing from us. But he got kidnapped? Hmm? Okay, I won't lie. I had a little bit of a... What's a... uh, Brain fart? Not a brain fart. No, no, no. I was for... Whatever, when the story was getting going, I thought it was going to be like, you know, the lady that got kidnapped. I didn't think of... No, Brooke is a man. Why did... Yeah, that... Yes, that, that threw me straight. <laughs> Keep up, <laughs> Anthony. <laughs> well, no, no, that that threw me off. And, uh, you know, I feel like a full-grown man got kidnapped mm-hmm. by, you know, struggle more, bud. No. Elise frantically tried to tell the voice on the other end of the phone that her father had just arrived, but the line went dead. In an attempt at confidentiality, rather than calling the police station, Alex and Miriam sped back to police headquarters. When they arrived, however, they were met by San Jose Evening News reporter Jim Chestnut. Uh-oh. He had already heard of Brooke's disappearance. Fifteen employees of Hart's store had already set out in search of Brooke's car after he failed to appear to pick up his father and sister outside of the store. Chief Black had already requested a trace on calls to the Hart residence and placed a call to San Francisco's captain of detectives, as well as San Jose Sheriff William Emig. At 10.30 p.m. that evening, another call came to the Hart home. The kidnappers assured the family that Brooke was safe and that if the family followed their instructions, kept the police out of the matter, and paid them $40,000, which is nearly $800,000 in today's money, Brooke would be returned unharmed. By midnight, Chief Black's trace request revealed that the first call to the hearts had been placed from Dan Dwyer's speakeasy on the 1000 block of Market Street. <laughs> See, now, that, as far as I know, is a landmark that is not still it's with not us. Still there. And don't you wish it was? Wait a minute. Dan Dwyer's And the second speakeasy. call. Wait, hold on. Wait, say that again. The speakeasy? So the first call. They definitely made that into a bar. The 1,000 block of Market Street? I don't even know what that is. I, yeah, I think I'm pretty sure they made it. So the first, but the first call came from Dan Dwyer's Speakeasy. The second call came from a pay booth at the Whitcomb Hotel, which I don't believe is there anymore. Mm-hmm. That Speakeasy nope. is definitely a bar. We'll have to look it up. <laughs> <laughs> Though Alex Hart's speedy departure from the San Jose Country Club had caused a bit of a disturbance, it continued as planned until late in the evening. Nice. Perry Belshaw, the club manager, locked up and headed to his home in the rolling hills of east of Milpitas, around six miles north of San Jose. As he neared his house, coming over a hill, he was startled by headlights of a car parked at an unusual angle on the side of the road. Uh-oh. When he pulled over to see if anyone needed help, he found the car, a Studebaker convertible roadster. Upon mentioning this to his wife, 
She remarked that it was a wonder that the battery wasn't dead, as the car had been there since around 7 o'clock that evening. He immediately thought of Alex Hart's hasty departure from the club and phoned the police. When Sheriff Emig arrived on the scene a short while later, he confirmed that this was, indeed, Brooke Hart's car. Following the kidnapping of Charles Lindbergh's infant son some 20 months prior, Congress enacted the Lindbergh Act, making any kidnapping case where the victim was taken across state lines, where extortion was used, or where the mail system was used under federal jurisdiction. Mm. Good idea. Thus, Police Chief Black placed a call to FBI Special Agent Reed Vetterly in in San Francisco. After Black explained the situation to Vetterly, the FBI, FBI agent set up roadblocks on the highways running down the San Francisco Peninsula as neither the Golden Gate Bridge to the north nor the Bay Bridge connecting Oakland to San Francisco had been completed by 1933. Wow. Think about that. Old. Such a pain in the ass to oh, get yeah, to Marin. Long- yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. We're just thinking like, fuck. Well, forget getting to Marin. Think about getting to San Francisco from anywhere. Yeah, other than San, like South Bay. Yeah. yeah, if you were in Oakland, you had to go all the way yeah. fucking around the bay. That's a pain in the ass. Bay Area problems. <laughs> bay Area problems. Two radio cars were dispatched to Market Street in San Jose where, uh, between where the two ransom calls had been placed, the Whitcomb Hotel and Dan Dwyer's Bar. Two hours after the last call, curiously enough, detectives still had not visited either place. Vetterly next called FBI agent Bill Ramsey, already in San Jose working another case, and by 2.30 a.m., he was in the Hart home, where he would be staked out for the next six days, put up in one of the spacious servants' quarters, which would become the de facto FBI headquarters for the case. <laughs> He's all like, man, I hope this, they never find this He's kid. Like, this oh, all nice. right. This is fucking nicer than my fucking place. Yes, by all means, it seems, from what I've read, that the Hearts were genuinely good people considerate people they treated everybody who worked for them very well can i ask some questions yes please do maybe just one what did what were what were the hearts wealth wealth in uh the store this the store yes so the store had been started by uh leopold the grandfather heart and transitioned to uh alex hart and okay. Then he made Brooke vice president, so next in line to inherit it. Now, was, there was only one store? Correct. And because I guess I'm think, I'm looking at it this way, like, okay, I'm going to capture Brooke, and I'm going to capture him so I can make, what was it, $400,000? No, $40,000. $40,000. Which is translates to $800,000. Yeah, well, okay, yeah, that's from, that's from $40,000. Mm-hmm. So... Like, you have to be very confident that, like, okay, this business is successful, and then that the, the hearts, I, they have a lot of extra well, fucking money. I, I don't know if this is uh, in today's money or uh, whenever this, I think this book was written in, like, the 90s, um, but it, he, uh, Harry Farrell says that the Brooks were making $3 million a year. Wow, Which I, I have to imagine is translated money because three yeah, million dollars from a department store in 1933 would be 
fucking ridiculous. Right. Well, department right. stores. That may, I mean, though, is this like a okay? So I, I mean, I, I have, I know any of It's everything. Parties. So it's, it's. With it, and this is no. This was one of the biggest stores, stores. on the main street yeah. of San Jose. So my question would be: and, Is this remember, kind of, every, like a bit of like a Macy's? Everybody Mace, went there. This is a bit like a Macy's. Is this a like a Macy's kind of department store, or is this like yes. a like a? I guess I, it's. It, I would say, a Walmart equivalent. Well, so they had a gro- they like had a, a nice they had a grocery store. section. So it is almost like a Walmart. It is almost like a Walmart thing well, where it had it had like clothes, home. Like I think it had home goods. It had groceries. It was kind of like a one stop oh, shop. But but okay, I think okay, the, okay, that's I think my what, okay. So it's a pretty big. It's a big yes, operation. operation okay. But I also think I mean I assumed that what you were getting at is this like kind of high end. Yeah, like, it's like merchandise, a high end or support. is it or like, is it kind of yeah. <laughs> Walmart level but it, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Would, I like to say, yeah, is it like but like shit that would be like on like the street? I think it was a little, it was a little above. Like it was a little, it was kind of oh. like somewhere in between, like Macy's. Well, I, I mean, it but is you, the 1930s. Yeah. I was gonna say, oh my god, Earl, and, check out these overalls. Well, that's the nicest pair of overalls I've ever right. seen. Right. Well, you got to remember, Anthony, at this point in time, like commercial ventures in the U.S. were not like they are now. Like you didn't have kind of mass-produced, extremely cheap products mm-hmm. flooding the market in places like Target and Walmart. And Well-made, American-made Yeah, I mean, almost, most products that you would buy were things that you could not make yourself or that you couldn't buy from, like, a, a, a small-scale, okay. single shop and this, somewhere around you. So, like, the, these department stores section, were, were a big deal. This, okay. this particular section, I, I mean, the, like, the first episode that we're going to do is... It's going to be long, like I'm going to just get into the deep steeped in details and stuff like that. So like mm. they th- this book, which obviously we recommend reading uh, Swift uh, Justice, Murder and Vengeance in a California Town. Swift Justice. Swift Justice. I'm pretty sure. By Harry Farrell. I'm pretty sure I've been to a strip club and the stripper was named Swift Justice. I believe it. Um, but so the, it gets into the whole like Hart's history in San Jose, and I just was decided he hot, Anthony? Not <laughs> he, was, he was he was swift, if you know what I mean. Yikes! I don't know. I don't even know what I mean. Anyway, that was a shitty joke. So Bill Ramsey, <laughs> an FBI agent stationed in San Jose. Now that we've gone on this like six minute tangent. <laughs> Thank came, you for informing us. Our ten, the time li- of our, our ten listeners expect an hour and ten. Came to the Hart family home and immediately dove into questioning Brooks' family. Did he drink, gamble, sleep around? Did he have a temper? Was he honest, independent, or flaky and unreliable? Was he cool? Basically, is what we mean. Well. The family only had good things to say about him. He was a nerd. And, Strangely enough. And interviews with Brooke friends, Brooke's friends and colleagues evince similar descriptions. Temperate, considerate, affable, truthful, gentle. Sure, he drank a little, gambled a little, but never more than two <laughs> drinks and never more than 50 cents at a time. For all intents and purposes, great guy. Didn't even like, to, he didn't want people to swear in his presence. It was a real gem of a dude. Yeah. And this is... Fucking annoying piece of shit. Okay, I'm glad. A I'm picture of <laughs> uh, Brooke Leopold Hart and his steady gal, Jane Hammond. Damn. Who, uh, when questioned... Serial killer. When questioned, mentioned that he, Brooke, was supposed to call her at 5 p.m. on Thursday, an hour before he disappeared, but never did. He didn't call her? No. An He's hour a, you know before he disappeared. Yes. You know Uh-oh. what? You know what? 
I'm make, gonna hold that against him. Make time for the little things. I'm gonna hold that against him. Well, Alex Hart, when questioned by Ramsey, reported that the day before his disappearance, Brooke had told his father that the previous week, as he was parking his car, three men in another automobile cut him off trying to pin him in, but he was able to maneuver around them and sped away. Mm. Meanwhile, Reed Vetterly and Sheriff Emig were chasing leads following up with his usual haunts, the Portalupus speakeasy, who only had great things to say about the boy. A true gentleman. Then went to the Robin Hood Inn, who said that he had been in on Thursday night around 9, 9.30 p.m. with his, quote, unquote, regular girl. But at that time, Jane was already at the Hart home. Whoa. So the oh. regular gal is oh. not his gal. His, I that, knew it. Jane was his expected fiance. And, and I, I I'm going to ask a question that I shouldn't have the answer to, mm-hmm. but uh, can you remind me what year this was? This 33. Was 30, 33. 33. So was this Prohibition? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Hence, so I love, No, no, no. I get that. But I love the fact that like the police and the FBI are going to clearly known speakeasies yes. to look for Oh, this. yeah, dude. That shit was like, they didn't give a fuck. Yeah. It. It seems like speakeasies were a well, you know, as long kind of as long as you didn't cause any problems, like they allowed you to do your thing. Right. If I remember correctly, from another podcast I listened to called American History Tellers, when they did their their series on the Prohibition, I'm pretty sure by this time people were pretty much fucking done with the with Prohibition. Yes, and this were very w- much fucking over it, and like this is fucking ridiculous. And I think a lot of, and this is I think around the time where law enforcement was like we're not enforcing this anymore and I think like or like they were they just didn't want so to anymore. Prohibition ended on December fifth, nineteen thirty three, according to Wikipedia. Yeah. So this is yeah. literally so the were, last yeah. month. it's the last guy. So yes. but yeah, if I, yeah. Because basically when the depression hit, people were like, Yeah, yeah fuck everybody's you, I'm over it. <laughs> yes. Like yeah, my I, my life's fucking shit now you're telling me I can't have like, you know, a, a beer. Fuck yes. you, you fucking Christian fucks. Over at Frank Carnese's. <laughs> Damn it. It was them. It was them. The you temperance Read movement, your history. Yes. <laughs> Over at Frank Carnese's joint, <laughs> Brooke was said to have cashed a few bad checks and held several IOUs with the house. But as Frank was out of town, the pair then checked with First National Bank and Western Union, though they found nothing out of the ordinary. No bounced checks or overdrafts, no telegrams or money orders sent or received. Alex tried hmm. to cooperate with the ransomers, asking newspapers to keep pertinent information out of circulation. And while the local San Francisco Chronicle and Associated Press agreed, Friday's front page of the Mercury Herald read, Brooke Hart, son of wealthy merchant, kidnapped. $40,000 ransom demand is received. The news was out, and the word <clears throat> spread like wildfire. Like wildfire in California. Never Which is never a good thing. Never had, never heard of it. Rumors and possible possible theories of who had taken Brooke Hart erupted onto the canvas of this mystery, ranging from handsome Jack Clutus, a well-educated elite figure in the criminal underworld responsible for a string of ransom kidnappings in Illinois, oh. to Charles Arthur Pretty Boy Floyd, whom, oh. whom Vetterly had encountered just five months earlier in a bloody shootout that left four officers and a Kansas City prisoner, Frank Nash, who was who Pretty Boy Floyd and his gang was trying to free, dead. 
Vetterly's arm was injured in the mayhem, and Pretty Boy and his gang escaped. Someone tipped off the police that they had seen Floyd in the new Almaden Quicksilver mine. But after an exhaustive search, authorities came up empty-handed. Sightings of Brooke Hart started pouring in from across the state, and newspapers started sharing his picture and his description disseminated over the wires. Uh, Someone spotted Brooke 70 miles north in Marin County, wandering around disoriented. Around the same time, he was also seen another 100 miles north in Orland, California, where he was seen in a restaurant with two Italians. <laughs> oh, yes. Hey, Brooke. Hey, Brooke. Yeah. Hey, come over here. You're a good kid. All right. There is a, there is a <laughs> lot of that in this book where it's like people very specifically are like, no, no, he didn't have an accent. He was a good American. Or like, <laughs> if, oh, I saw him with this guy. No, no, it's it's cool. He was American. And mm. it's like, mm, that good old-fashioned racism. Yeah, yes. well, how much funny. things have changed. Mm-hmm. Well, it's also funny. Like, Americans don't have fucking accents. No. Like, not like, not like, about? not like Italians. Not, hey, hey, buddy, like, hey. Like last episode. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like all of last episode. <laughs> Brooke was also positively identified in Los Angeles, escorted by two large men assumed to be his captors. Gertrude Van Arsdale, whose husband ran the Hart's, uh, the Hart store's grocery section, claimed to see Brooke at 6.20 p.m. driving eastbound on Santa Clara Street 15 minutes after his last reported sighting as he got into his car. Unbeknownst to her, though, who she actually saw was Tom Holland, Spider-Man, and a man similar in appearance oh. to Brooke and the owner of... <laughs> of the only other light green Studebaker President Roadster in San Jose. John Sepulveda, neighbor of the Belshaws, said that he saw Brooks Studebaker on the east side of Evans Road at 7 p.m. on Thursday, with a man matching Hart's description standing by the car in the darkness, seeming to work under the hood. When Sepulveda returned 20 minutes later, the car was still there, but the man was gone. Whoa. And at his re-interview... Sepulveda admitted that it could have been a shadow. That car's a good magician. Yeah, right? Late Friday afternoon at San Francisco's Pier 32, Michael Redinger, merchant seaman, stood on the deck of the oil tanker Midway when he noticed something near the guardrail. Mm-hmm. Having risen in the water oh, no. after refilling the cruise liner Lurline, which was now headed for Los Angeles en route to Hawaii, This mysterious object, as it turned out, was a wallet. In this wallet, much to his dismay, he found no money. God damn, I hate when that happens. What he did find was a California driver's license, credit card, Western Union card, San Jose Public Library card, California State Automobile Association card, and 18 business cards, all belonging to one Uh Mr. Brookhart. Can I ask an incredibly dumb question? He's dead. Were credit cards back then made of plastic? I would assume not. Probably horse leather. Um, I'm sure that somebody listening could potentially send us, us an email podcast at gmail.com if you know I, about 1930s credit cards. Well, but I, but but where I was going, they wouldn't this. have magnetic strips. No, so, no, no, no. no, 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 of course not. Um, so when they say credit card, do they mean like a card with like just your? How did that, how Maybe did like even, a bank card. How the fuck did that even work? Well, so so first of all, they wouldn't be plastic because like injection molded plastics, like we are familiar with, 
in the future. I do not think existed prior to approximately World War II because that's something that we use at historical archaeological sites to like help date phases of occupation. Hmm. So like like plastics oh. are from a very specific recent window of time. But I'm assuming that, you know, at, at, at this point, the credit card very likely was similar to the way our credit cards work today. Like you can call somebody over the phone and give them a number. Right. And so that's, I think that's it's what, just it's like, linked, and it's just linked, yeah, linked to an account. Right. Oh, okay. I was just, yeah. I, so like, I, was, I guess, yeah, back then they're like, man, I'm like, that seems like a pain in the ass to have a credit card. Well, no, but so think about this, like the prior to this, you would just have individual lines of credit at individual like stores. Right. Right. Like, yes. like, so you would go to like, like you would go to speakeasy and order a beer and at the end of the if month. they allowed you credit, yeah. they would just so that, that that's chaos because then all of a sudden you have like all these disaggregated debts that you have to deal with. It's almost like whereas like if if everybody agrees, okay, well we're going to we will have a bank hold that credit account, and then mm. you just give us the number, and then the bank will pay us right what you're and then you you deal with the bank like you. Oh, it's almost like that's why the economy crashed. Mm. Well, it, right? yeah, because it was possibly, like it was pretty right? much a bunch of like unaccounted for debt that yes. everyone was all like, and the banks were like, I don't know where the money is. Yeah, <laughs> that that I think you're that is correct. I need to brush up on my depression remember, history, but yes, I, remember, ba I mean, basically, that is a overly there, huge. There was a there was a panic. Also a lot and of there was no stuff. guarantee on money invested, and so people just rushed to like take their money out, and the banks yeah, were just like, were "Yeah, we don't have all of that, so sorry, we don't, we don't actually have the physical." Cash and then the and FDIC was created, and then the, everyone's heads exploded. So by the time the Lur Line was docked in Los Angeles, twenty police officers Ooh, were waiting to search the weird. vessel cabin by cabin connected. By the time the lure line was docked in Los Angeles, 20 police officers were waiting to search the vessel, cabin by cabin, identifying and interviewing each passenger, including Babe Ruth and his family. What? Whoa. What? Who were just starting their Wait, vacation. Did you just say Babe Ruth murdered Brooke Hart? That is correct. Yes, I thought so. Like, and that is the end of the episode. <laughs> Salt and swat? Yeah, with a baseball bat. Uh, police suspected that the wallet had been tossed from the lure line as the midway was transferring its cargo, rising in the water as it lightened its load as it was an oil tanker. So as it pumps oil into the lure line, the lure line gets heavier, the midway gets lighter, it rises out of the ocean. Uh, and the wallet was caught on the deck's guardrail as it rose out of the water. I was going to say, that guy had some fucking great eyes to see that. Right, that wall like a wallet just like kind of bobbing in the ocean. Well, it was on the deck. Oh, it was on the deck. Yeah, so like that's what they thought. I thought like, I was... Somebody threw it out of a porthole from the lure line, and then because uh, as... they were alongside each other as they were filling uh, okay. it up with gas, and then I just like pictured like in my head this guy like just like leaning on like a rail and like go looking into the ocean, going, "Hmm, what's that?" And well, like... seamen have particularly sharp eyes. You know, that's true. Semen and semen are com very gifted individuals. Yes, Everybody. they do have to navigate in the dark. <laughs> yes. However, no stowaways were found, no suspicious individuals identified, and most importantly, no Brookhart. Hmm. 
The investigation into Brooks' kidnapping quickly blossomed into one of the largest manhunts in California history. Police from across counties searched the hillsides near where Brooks Studebaker was found, the Santa Cruz Mountains, and the whole of the San Francisco Peninsula area. More and more tips came in. From a report of a man shouting for help by the Bay Shore in Hayward, an East Bay town midway between San Jose and Oakland, to a family who overheard several suspicious men who stopped outside their family farm on Thursday evening. Some were more intriguing and legitimate than others and investigated further, but none led to any con- anything concrete as to Brookhart's whereabouts. Monday morning, Louis Rossi was going through the mail at the Hart store when he came across a suspicious letter postmarked from Sacramento addressed to A.J. Hart in poorly written capital letters. This turned out to be the next correspondence from the kidnappers, instructing the Harts on the denominations they desired the ransom to be in and to await further contact. Meanwhile, on the remote White Oaks Road in Campbell, Tom Shaves and Everett Mason, a pair of farmers chopping wood, noticed two cars drive up one after the other and pull over to the side of the road. While odd for cars to drive, let alone stop on the rural road. <laughs> Wait, odd, it was odd for cars to drive back then? <laughs> I mean, d- well, to drive well, on that particular well, road. Yeah, it's, and, and it's White Oaks Road. Yes. Anyone who lives in this area and is, aware, is familiar with White Oaks Road knows that uh, it's rather funny to think of it as remote. Yes. Uh, yeah. Back in the day, back when it was all orchards, so it, that well, used sure, to be orchards. Cause, cause, right. And and I'm it assuming like Highway 17 probably like didn't your exist yet at that point. Yeah. So White Oak, White Oak Road would have been in kind of like the weird nether region between mm-hmm. Las Gatas and exactly. Campbell. You know what I was thinking about? What I was thinking about? Um, what? Yeah, yeah. Please tell us, Anthony. Is it actually related to the show, or we yes, just is some it, random is shit? It, like, hey guys, you know, what I was thinking about no, uh, all right. no, no, no. But yes. in all seriousness, I was thinking though at this time, and if I if I'm wrong, that our the FBI could have questioned our good friend uh, William Riker. William Riker, indeed. This does have a bit of an overlap. He's like, Ooh, he's like. No, I didn't see the child, but if you want to know about the perfect government. <laughs> You're not a Jew, are you? <laughs> um, so while they thought it was a little bit odd to see two cars drive up and stop on the side of the road, they didn't think too much of it. They're like fucking scared to death. Like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> or rather, they wouldn't have thought much of it had the handle of the axe they were using to uh, chop wood not broken in that moment. Getting into their truck to drive into town and get a new axe handle, they noticed both drivers, men in their late 20s, were sitting in one of the cars. The man in the driver's seat was writing something on a piece of paper using the windshield as a writing surface. And the man in the passenger's seat very obviously pulled a newspaper up over his face as the, dro- as the farmers drove by. When Shaves and Mason returned from their errand, the two cars a black Chevrolet sedan and a Pontiac were still parked on the side of the road. A short time later, the man in the driver's seat who had been riding jumped out, ran to the other car, and sped off. The man in the passenger seat with the newspaper shifted over to the driver's seat and did the same. Mason, who had noted the license plate number on the two vehicles, asked his neighbor, the deputy sheriff, to run the plates. They belonged to Thomas J. Thurmond and John M. Holmes. 
When the press got word of the farmer's odd incident, they sought out Sheriff Emig, who told reporters that there was, quote, nothing to it. The second ransom note arrived Tuesday morning, again received and transferred to the FBI by Rossi. It was postmarked from San Francisco Monday evening. This letter, much more arrogant in tone, instructed Alex Hart to place a sign with the number one in the Hart store window to let the kidnappers know that the Harts had received their letter and, when instructed, to take the money in a small black satchel driving Brooke's car to a location to be revealed. While initial theories of criminal masterminds had been thrown out, it became clearer and clearer to authorities that this was the work of novices. The window sign, the relatively close distance that they found Brooke's car, the short time frame from Brooke's disappearance to the first ransom call, all of these indicated that they were dealing with someone amateur and local. When Charlie O'Brien, Brooke's best friend, got home from his job at a local candy store on Tuesday evening, Five days after Brooke's disappearance, he received a phone call around 7 p.m. A friendly voice on the other end of the line told him to tell Alex Hart to start driving to L.A. in Brooke's car with the money in the passenger seat. At some point on the drive down, he would be intercepted, and a man in a white mask would relieve him of the ransom payment. Mm. Charlie sped over to the Hart home, where, after informing the family and the FBI of his experience, was chastised by Ramsey, who told him that he should stay on the line as long as possible and jiggle the phone's receiver hook to signal the operator next time. If there was a next time. Oh, shit. While the family and the FBI argued over the legitimacy of the call and whether or not to go through with the plan laid out by the apparent kidnapper, a call came in at 8.45 to the Hart household. It was the kidnappers. Fuck. You didn't follow orders. God damn You it. did not drive south. It was very complicated. You did not follow the instructions we gave Charlie O'Brien. You're a bad speller. Why not, Mr. Hart? Because I couldn't understand it. When Hart pressed the voice for proof that they were who they said they were and to give proof that Brooke was safe, the voice responded with giving a detailed description of what Brooke was wearing at the time of his kidnapping information that the newspapers did not run. The kidnappers now gave Hart instructions to get on the 9.30 p.m. train to L.A. The man in the white mask would meet him. Though trained to stall as much as possible by the FBI, Alex could not keep the kidnapper on the phone, who hung up after delivering his instructions. Ramsey, checking with the phone company, had the call traced to Perry's lot, parking lot on South 2nd Street. Within minutes, police and FBI converged on the lot where they found they had missed the mystery call by only four or five minutes. Oh, man. man. The parking lot attendant gave them a description of the man that he saw using the phone, and before they even left the parking lot, the group saw a figure walking in the darkness and assumed that that must be the unknown caller. They descended upon the man, guns drawn, Ooh. an FBI agent apprehending him with a flying tackle. <laughs> Sheriff Emig immediately recognized the man as Melville Trengrove, a local banker, who was walking home from work. <laughs> oh, <that laughs> Poor Melville. Like, yes. Like, like, what like, the fuck? That is li no! literally what happens to a banker named Melville Trengrove. He's like, oh, Melville getting tackled again. <laughs> Guy, darn it, I hope it's not meatloaf again tonight. It's always meatloaf. They'd wasted precious time and embarrassed themselves as a crowd began to gather around the scene. 
Soon the FBI and sheriffs were at the train station, but there was no sign of anyone matching the description of the caller, no suspicious individuals, and no Alex Hart, who had decided to ignore the threats of his son's captors, deeming it a foolhardy plan. Wednesday afternoon brought with it the third ransom letter, this one postmarked from San Jose's main post office. So we have gone from Sacramento to, to San, San Francisco San to, to San downtown San Jose. Do you know where that post office is, Anthony? Is that the one that's by my apartment? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, man. I think it it's is a, also on St. James Square. Yeah, it's yes. around the corner. 90 degrees from, from the St. Clair Club. my apartment. Yes. And Anthony's And yet apartment. they still can't fucking give me my mail correctly. <laughs> ah. <laughs> and there it is. It's true. This is really a story about, about, the, post, about the post office. <laughs> About Anthony's We're going to bring it back around. Uh, the This letter contained four pages compared to the previous Damn. notes, few paragraphs of instructions. You know, these fucking kidnappers kind of suck. You know, you think you'd make this like real quick. Like, hey, meet us here. We'll add the thing. It's like they fucking are stringing this on yes. along. Dude. But they it's tried to make it quick. And, and, and Alex... He's like, eh, whatever. Like, <laughs> nah, I'm not Donald. But it's also like, again, why they think that they're amateurs? Because they're like, he's like, uh, yeah, get on a train and and we'll, we'll meet you. A dude and, in a white mask will meet you. Yes. Uh, so this letter instructed the Hearts to put a number two in the window of the store where the number one had been. This time, there were more specific instructions detailing when Alex should leave, what route to take, and how fast to drive. The letter also included a phrase that chilled the hearts to their cores. Quote, killing him is the easy way with little risk for us. Mm. Alex decided to take this more seriously, but after realizing... (laughs) (laughs) Alex finally decided to take it seriously. He's like, he's trying Mm. to watch... I was going to say he's trying to watch the game, but he couldn't. But... Because there's no TV, son. Alex realized he could not drive. Fuck. Oh, this, what a snag in the plan. Indeed. He's like, I and thus oh, no. could not follow the captor's wishes. I can't drive. And it. so he amended the square of cardboard with the number two written on it to include the phrase underneath, I cannot drive. <laughs> <laughs> this, while technically true, was also a clever ruse to get the kidnappers to call again if they wanted their money. And just before 8 p.m., the phone rang at the Hart residence. Euphemia Cohn, one of Nettie Hart's closest friends, answered the phone. The Hart's had now rehearsed a precise routine for this instance. Counting to three, Mrs. Cohn and Bill Ramsey picked up the receivers simultaneously so as not to produce a secondary click, which, for those of you that remember, phones used to click when you picked up the receiver so you could tell if somebody jumped on the line and you'd be like, Ma, get off the phone! What's a receiver? Yep. Or when the neighbors a quarter mile away got on the phone. Wait, oh, have, you're wait. one of those. Yeah, man. Wait, I, I, I grew up, My we had a party line when I was growing up, which meant that our neighbors had mm-hmm. the same phone line as mm-hmm. us. Mm. Oh, Jesus. So they could sit there and listen to everything. That How we annoying was versa. that? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, and like if you needed to make a phone call, you'd have to like pick the phone up. You're like, and be like, wrap uh, it up, bud. I'm sorry, like I, I need to make a call. 
Yes, this was also to Debbie. This was also before. Uh, <laughs> See here we phone go. Numbers. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I never knew a Debbie. <laughs> this was also before like number pads on phones. So you would pick up the phone. It would connect you to an operator, and you would say, "Connect me to line three zero four nine," and then the operator would dial it for you. And the pass sucked. Yep. Uh, just my phone to tell me <laughs> to tell it who to call. Yes. The smooth, soft voice of Brooks Captor asked for Mr. Hart. Anthony, you would not be able to exist. Nope. 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 Outside of the 21st century nope. North America. Nope, nope, nope. At least you admit that. That's Ma- good. That's Manual good. car? Nope. Nope. A-, a phone that doesn't automatically do most things for me? Uh, you seen those videos nope. where they try and get fucking like millennials and... Xennials or whoever is fucking after us to like use like a rotary phone. Ugh. Hilarious. Can you imagine porn on VHS? No, thank you. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's fun. That's fun. Um, the smooth, soft voice of Brooks Captor asked for Mr. Hart. Sticky remote. <laughs> Mrs. Cone, <Sticky> gross. <laughs> Mrs. Cone asked him to wait and would see if he was in. In another room, another call came in. It was the telephone operator informing the FBI that they had traced the call. Mr. Hart, you had our serial number in your window this afternoon. Yes, it was there. I can't drive. (laughs) Mr. Hart, you get Charles O'Brien or some other member of your family and leave PDQ. I can't drive. I'm in no physical condition to make a trip. I have hemorrhoids. Hart calmly stalled the conversation as the faceless voice on the other end of the phone became increasingly agitated. Ramsey was told that the call was coming from the plaza garage downtown. Ramsey called Sheriff Emig, who gathered his undersheriff and deputy. No, I won't go. I haven't any assurance that you have the boy. Can't you give me any assurance? We have your boy, Mr. Hart. I am one of the boys that wrote the letters you received. You remember that? You remember the long one this afternoon? Yes, I received it. Well, you get Charlie O'Brien and leave PDQ. Which, for those that you don't pretty know... Pretty damn quick! Pretty damn quick. Okay, I was going to ask what PDQ means. Yes. I know what ASAP means, but I don't know what PDQ means, but I think I'm going to switch to PDQ. PDQ. It's a good one. Pretty damn quick. Mm-hmm. Well, shoot. Where shall I go? When? The sheriff's car quietly parked on the street by the plaza garage barely 150 feet from the san jose police headquarters vetterly and another fbi agent arrived at the same time talking to the attendant he pointed them to a phone on the far wall of the garage still in use by someone as the fbi and sheriffs reached the phone the man hung up the receiver and turned around startled by the men who had snuck up on him with their guns drawn Oh, yeah. That tarnation. <laughs> oh, there it is. There we go. <laughs> yes. What's your name, mister? Yeah. Harold Thurmond. What's this all about, Sheriff? <laughs> Who were you talking to? My mother. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't you call Alex Hart? The blood drained from Thurmond's face, Uh-oh. and he said nothing. And hold on. Thurmond, this was one of the fellers mm. in the car on White Oaks Road, correct? Ah. If, if memory does serve me correct. Sheriff Emig said, Harold, 
You're under arrest. Fuck. <laughs> and that's where we'll pick up next time. No. Hey! In the right. tail of the kidnapping of Brooke Hart. All right, I'm going to say something. Please do. I'm going to say something. Do it. I feel like in kidnapping scenarios yes. that as much as you would think that the bargaining power would all would be in the person who has the kidnappee, I feel like really all the power is in the person who has the money. Because if you kill the person you're kidnapping, then you don't get the money. True, but I think so there is— So you get all that work Right, but I, I think generally people don't want their family members to be killed— I think that's kind of the give and take of it. I get know? no. I, I I understand you kind of more rely on the panic of them dying. But my point is, <laughs> I'm curious if anyone's like called the bluff. Like, yeah, fucking kill him. You don't get your money. Uh, who was it? Hearst did that with his his grandson or something. I think that was, was that Hearst or somebody else. <laughs> I can imagine some asshole just there, dying. Yeah, I don't no, know, there bluff. was there was some guy who's like had like a shitty just like grandson who had like inherited a trust fund kid that like had inherited a bunch of money and like he got kidnapped and then the kidnappers were like hey we have your grandson and he was like all right (laughs) we want money you're you're not thinking of patty hurst are you uh because she was kidnapped but then she began to sympathize with no, can I ask? Pat, no, I, I might Patty be Hearst, conflating that. Now, is Patty yeah. Hearst related to Hearst Hearst? Hearst Castle Hearst? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, yeah, okay. yeah. The uh, newspapers. Yeah. Yeah. The guy so, who uh, so, the Citizen Kane's based on. Yeah, yeah. No, so, so, but like, think about it. Like, Getty. Getty. John Paul Getty. JPG. <laughs> he just didn't give a fuck. He's like, whatever. Yeah. Yes. Another California tycoon. Can you imagine yes. just like looking Ooh, turning over? have to do that one. That's Actually, that's another good I, You know, I, too, I like, worked at the Getty. Museum. Yeah, when yep, I was yep, in, right, yeah. in LA. Did you actually, ever meet him? No, 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 no. Hearst Her, actually would be an interesting uh, subject. I don't know. What, would be. Well, you know what? I, what I was going to say is like kidnapping has got to be like the dumbest crime, right? Yeah, because it just seems like I mean, be well, pain in the ass. unless you kidnap like an infant or, or or like someone who is incapable of like. I don't know, like seeing you and remembering identifying factors about you because like it's, it's a lose, lose situation for the kidnapper. Like you're right. Like what if the people are like, now we don't have the money. Like what if you kidnap the wrong person and you're like, ah shit, like we're not going to get a dime from these people. Then what do you do? You, you either have to kill the person that you kidnapped or let them go. Either way you get nothing. But then even if you get the money and let the person go, unless you've been extraordinarily careful, the person that you kidnapped is probably going to be able to have enough information to lead authorities to find no, you. No, 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 no. Dude, have you never been kidnapped before? You're no, like, I haven't. You're like, you're like, hey, man, just let me go. I swear I won't tell anybody. Well, no, no, no. Okay, so fair enough. In that case, you don't say I swear I won't tell anybody. You say, look. If you give me half of the money that my family gives you, mm. I will guarantee that I will not rat you out. Ooh. And get you more money. Ooh, right? clever. Clever girl. But, I mean, think about all the, the catastrophically disastrous kidnappings in our nation's history. Like, the Lindbergh baby is a principal example, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that... That just never works. Yeah, it's just like, come never on, man. Like, Which wasn't well, that just, think, wasn't that just Charles Lindbergh kidnapping his own, killing his own son and blaming it on Jews or something? It, 
this is also I, I don't ooh. think so, but uh, this is Thurman. Look at upon that his fella. arrest. Yeah, he definitely did it. That's a phrenology case there for sure. You know, it's uh, I had a thought. Well, did oh, I was gonna say though, cause, like concerning like the ridiculousness of kidnappings, it did make me think of like that's probably why the humor, a lot of the humor in the Big Lebowski works so well because it is so ridiculous. Yeah, of a of a thing to try to do and pull off, and it's probably easier more to pull off a hoax kidnapping than it, it would be to actual do a real kidnapping. Right. 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 I mean, and I. And that's still, it's, I mean, done. right. That's kind of like the joke of that whole movie, is that. Not, that you know, joke. not to spoiler alert for the Big Lebowski if you guys haven't seen it. Yeah, right. Yeah, everyone. She up. didn't get kidnapped. She kidnapped herself. She to kidnapped pay off herself. A porn. That's right. A, uh, some person. I don't know why. Well, she- no. That's here's the here's the big question of that movie. <laughs> she why didn't was kidnap she- herself though. No, but she needed money to pay off the porn. The, the Jackie, Jackie Treehorn. Yeah. But why would she need to pay off him? Wouldn't he be Cocaine? hiring? Oh, maybe they never really get into that. But I'm like, I don't understand well, that's why a, like, that's she a, would owe money. I thought that was one of the like many like that was like one of the fucking Walter theories that he's like she kidnapped herself, and then it's like that actually Jackie is. Treehorn likewise doesn't know where she is, and it turns out that it's all just been a way for the Big Lebowski to embezzle money. Right. Well, he because he didn't. Well, well, okay, let's not re re relitigate the Big Lebowski, but yeah. Do really yeah fuck well, that big Lebowski. Actually, guy. will be a we should do that because I I do I did want to start a movie podcast. Ooh, that's which I it. actually think would be a much more I would contribute much more because I do it. <laughs> um, but we will pick up next week uh, with the continuation of the Brookhart kidnapping saga. Uh, anything else before we go? Thank you for people who listened. Yes, we so, finally yeah. went. Lo- I mean, we find. I mean, even yeah. though this is episode whatever, and you're hearing this nine, nine, <laughs> uh, people, it shit finally. You know, we're getting reviews and things, and yeah, thank yeah. you for listening. And uh, you know, we do this for fun, and hopefully, you get enjoyment out of it. I feel like at some point we're building towards having like a valley of hearts delight guided tour of yeah san jose that would be Dude. Very cool that'd be very like cool. we can go to the location where do Brooke a live Hart a live podcast was kidnapped from yeah yeah actually you know it'd be cool if we ever eventually got to the point where we could do an actual live podcast and uh like did it at the ritz i was just oh read, my read god my holy mind. Shit. read my mind oh that would be so god. cool well let's not get ahead of ourselves uh yeah. so if, you're, if you're listening 20 listeners yeah if you're if you're listening to this uh you know you're helping us achieve our dreams and uh thank you kind, kind of kind of this technically wasn't my dream this is kind of <laughs> maybe <Kate is> dream. <laughs> but this is definitely something i sorry do. i mean my, something that i do that's I fun my <laughs> My dream is that we all get fucking wealthy off of this and then, you know. How about this? Thank you for listening. Suicide we call. again we have fucking fun doing it and that's all that matters. That's true. And and if we did get paid to do it, That'd that won't nice hurt too. either. That'd be pretty tight. That's not really what I'm We'll here. open up the Patreon in a couple episodes. Yeah, there you go. If we get I hopefully if I if we get at least a hundred. Yeah. Notice and my silence. 
Andy, you're the only one here with a fucking career, okay? Yeah, with a ten, <laughs> tenured professor here. Hey, man, I worked my ass off for that. <laughs> I know, I know. We're me and Caden are trying I'm, to find I'm the, the one, easy way. I'm out. the one. This podcast un- is like the audio version of kidnapping somebody's rich <laughs> child. Like, come on, man. We need somebody with credibility. That's yeah. our, that's our, our, new, our new tagline. <laughs> the audio equivalent of a kidnapping. Yes. Yes. Of kidnapping a, a somebody's rich child. That <laughs> is a good fucker. That is a. Well, I think okay. Write that down. I'm gonna open with that next week. <laughs> All right. Look at the value of hearts delight. Welcome to a crime. The scene. audio, the, the audio, audio version of a ki- version of a kidnapping. Uh, well, thank you for listening. If you're listening, if you're not listening, then it doesn't matter. Uh, if you have comments, questions, thoughts, uh, emotions, or recommendations for a story that you want us to cover, send us an email at v. O H D podcast as in Valley of Hearts Delight Podcast at Jamail.com. Thank you. Love you. Okay, bye. Bye bye. Bye.